0: Life Audio.
1: Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Persis Poku. On today's episode, I wanted to touch on the topic of early Christian thinkers, early Christian thinkers. And after a word from our sponsors, we'll get started on the topic today. Since the beginning of the first century, we didn't have to look far to see Christians who are able to rightly defy the word of truth. According to first Peter three fifteen, to sanctify the Lord God with all of your heart and be ready to give each man or woman a answer a reason for the hope that lies within you and to do it with gentleness as well as respect. This is the charge for you and I. As Christians, we must be ready to give an answer, a reason for the hope that lies within us, and to do it with gentleness as well as respect. We have to be gentle. We can't push our faith on other people. We can't coerce people into Christianity. We can't force people into Christianity. We can't make people believe in Jesus Christ by the sword, meaning by force uh, and, and by compulsion. People have to accept Christ because they desire to uh, have a relationship with the Messiah, not because uh, they're being intimidated, not because they fear for their lives, but because they want to, they desire to, they will to have a relationship with Jesus, the Christ. So let's keep that in mind. In today's culture, in today's society, there's just so much going on. There, There are people Uh, that are determined to um, go against the will of God uh, due to sin. Uh, There are people who are fulfilling prophecy. They are lovers of themselves. Uh, They are not open to sound doctrine. They are people uh, who are heretics, meaning that they preach and teach false theology. They are people who are part of the apostate, meaning that Uh, They seem to have fallen away from the faith, but they never really uh, were in the faith to begin with. So, this is nothing new. Since the first century, God had called saints to stand up and oppose heretical views. And whatever goes against the word of God is heretical. And we must be careful to not misidentify the wolves with the sheep. Uh, Those that come uh, that are determined to uh, view God and to worship God in their own eyes uh, will fall short. And they are the ones that we really, as a church, we need to look out for people who claim to be Christians. But their theology is that of the devil. They are not Christians at all. They are preaching and teaching the opposite of what God teaches. So we must be careful. But in the early centuries or infancy of the church, uh, shortly after the apostles, God raised up godly men who would stand up and fight against heretical view. One of these men, uh, in our previous episode, we talked about St. Ignatius. Uh, In this episode, just want to highlight some of the other people who helped to advance the uh, sound views of the church. Uh, One such a person was Irenaeus. Uh, He was one of the early church patriarchs, and he was born in Asia Minor, and he lived from approximately 125 A.D. to 202 A.D. He was a student of Polycarp. Irenaeus, uh, uh, indeed, is another example of Christians putting their faith in action by utilizing their intellect. Uh, There are so many Christians today who have checked their brains out of the door, and you don't have to. We, as believers, we have the best of both worlds. We have faith and reason. We know the physics as well as the metaphysics. God has called us to be able to identify general revelation as well as special revelation. So we have the best of both worlds, and we don't have to uh, just say we have faith in God alone when God has also given us evidence. Uh, We do walk by faith, not by sight, but God, through his uh, causality, has given us some evidence for us to hold on to. So Irenaeus was a student of Polycarp, as I said it before, um, and he was a man of intellect, and he was instrumental in helping to create systematic theologies, which are still being followed by us today. Irenaeus is credited with writing a five-volume treatise emphasizing sound doctrine in response to the rise of Gnosticism. And you guys remember, uh, for those who have listened to the show, uh, we defined Gnosticism or Gnostic views. And when we say Gnosticism, uh, it's it's spelled G-N-O-S-T-I-C, Gnostic. And that was a prevalent view in the first century uh, they belief in the de-emerge. That's the term they use for God. They didn't believe in anything physical. They believe that everything was spiritual. Uh, that the body wasn't real, but bo- uh, uh, bodies appeared to be real, but they were uh, non-physical. And this view is heretic in the sense that if Jesus rose up physically, as the Bible says, and you denying that physical resurrection, then your view is heretical. If Jesus, who rose up physically, and Thomas was able to touch the palm of his hand and in response uh, proclaim, my Lord and my God, and the Bible is emphatic that Jesus rose up physically, and you say he did not rise up physically, uh, but that he only appeared to have a human body. That's a problem, and that's what Gnostics believe and taught. They saw all material things as evil. Uh, so, whatever you see as physical, whatever you you deem as material, uh, they saw that as evil. They saw the spirit or the soul as endeavoring to escape the body. So, they put a lot of emphasis on this on the non physical, the spirit and the soul, and they believe that. We were, in essence, just all spiritual. We didn't have any body. But let me uh, take a second or so to uh, explain this concept and why this is so problematic. Number one, God made us a body and soul unit. He made us a body and soul unit. That's what makes us human. We are a body and soul unit. We are body and soul composite, uh, body, soul, or body, spirit. Uh, I believe that the term soul and spirit is interchangeable, but that's a whole nother podcast. Um, So let's look at it. If God created us a body and soul unit and you are denying the physicality, the body component, then that misrepresents who we are as humans. So Gnosticism uh, was uh, fraught with bad theology and bad logic. And so Irenaeus in his composition Uh, He wrote to defend the church against Gnosticism. His work uh, proved to be invaluable to later Christians who came after him. Irenaeus, like many other Christians in the second century, reasoned skillfully, meaning they used their minds. Just like today, we have to use our minds. There are so many false doctrines out there inside the church as well as outside the church, and we have to be ready to defend the faith. We have to be ready to learn sound doctrine. We have to be ready to divide the word of God accurately. We have to be skillful. Uh, Their faith in God, meaning the early Christians and scriptures, were the basis for their theology or defense or apologia. So it is through the writing of Irenaeus that we get a more in-depth teaching of Gnosticism. So, if you want to learn about what Gnostics believe and taught, you read the work of Irenaeus, and it'll give you insight into this first century false theology. Uh, Ire- Irenaeus skillfully used arguments based on doctrinal passages to rebuff the leaders of the, of the Alexandrian school. Uh, so, keep that in mind. Uh, he was instrumental in helping us identify what Gnosticism taught and to rebuff claims coming out of um, the Gnostic school of thought. So in order to protect a sound church doctrine, Irenaeus specifically wrote against the rise of a group called Martianism or the, a teaching or movement called Martianism. Martianism was founded by Martian or Pontus in the second century. Let us take a break to recognize our sponsors and we'll be right back. He disliked Judaism and any scripture from the Jewish religion. So as a result of his negative view of Jewish writings, He rejected the God of the Old Testament, but he embraced the God of the New Testament. So Martian even cataloged his own set of scriptures. He personally canonized it. It is under this climate that Irenaeus felt compelled to speak out. His faith convinced him that if he were to write a treatise exposing the flaws in movements such as Martianism, it would help the church defend itself. In order to accomplish his goal, he wrote coherently in his book entitled Against Heresies. Irenaeus' writings had a tremendous impact on the early church. Concerning his contributions to Christian thought, Bruce Shelley writes, his theology was grounded in the Bible and the church's doctrine and helped provide a steadying, positive influence in the church. Christian thinkers such as Irenaeus viewed reasoning as a necessary part Of the Christian duty. So that's where we are. God has called us to stand up in these last days and defend the faith. We defend the faith because if we don't defend the faith, then people would assume that lies and falsehood are the truth, thus leading to people getting hurt, thus leading to uh, people's eternal security, meaning people getting saved in the first place, um being in jeopardy. And we want as Christians, we want everybody to get to know the authentic Jesus and not the false Jesus. So defending the faith is important. It would hinder or it does hinder many Christian communities and churches because of bad theology. When bad theology seeps in, it wind up hurting people. When bad theology seeps in, it wind up Um, distorting the authentic view of Jesus, which God is is against Um, us having an inauthentic view of Jesus Christ. So this is an issue that we're facing in today's society. The next person I would like to highlight is Clement of Alexandria. And of course, we're talking about Africa, Alexandria, Egypt, Clement of Alexandria he lived approximately from 155 A.D. to 215 A.D. He became a Christian largely due to the influence of Pantanus. Pantanus was the founder of the Catechal School of Alexandria. This school offers students a curriculum based on an allegorical system of biblical interpretation. Students were taught that scriptures have more than one meaning, which is a dangerous theology to have. It's a false Um, or inconsistent presupposition uh, to start off by approaching the scriptures as though there's two meaning Uh, that leads to chaos. So as a result, students from this school were constantly looking for esoteric interpretations, meaning they wouldn't take the Bible on face value. They was looking for something else beside what they were reading, which led to multiple interpretations of a particular passage as an example. So Clement eventually became one of the um, leaders of this Alexandrian school. It is from this background that Clement of Alexandria grew to his status. He's often called the father of Christian philosophy. So again, my point is not to say that Clement of Alexandria didn't have any doctrinal issues, which he did, but I wanted to highlight the ability of Christians to steal reason, and put together arguments for God, even though some of the secondary doctrines may be off. We as Christians, we must be able to uh, uh, not just rightly divide the word of truth, but even before we get there, we must allow God to use our emotions as well as our logic and our intellect. Unfortunately, many Christians in this 21st century don't think critically, some have little training in the area of hermeneutics. Others see no advantage in attending uh, upper-level education classes, uh, whether it's Bible schools or seminaries, what have you. Some Christians frown on that for whatever reason. Uh, you can get it at your own church if they offer um, high-quality uh, theological education. So as a result, we have a large population of Ignorant Christians who cannot defend their faith with intellect uh, that God has given us, with intelligence that God has given us. Many Christians even scoff at the notion of learning how to think critically. However, this was not the sentiment during the second and third century. The role of reason, propelled uh, by faith in God, was the catalyst. For many Christians like Clement of Alexandria to attempt to defend the Christian faith. Clement believed Greek philosophy and science could be used as a preparation for the gospel. This view became part of the Alexandria curriculum. He wanted his students to have a su- uh, sound uh, education as well as the gospels. So even though the uh, Alexandrian school had some doctrines that were not scriptural. They did very well with the uh, sound part, with the scriptural part, with the healthy part. So it's just like a lot of churches. Uh, There there are churches that teach good doctrine, but then you have members within that uh, that church that may not uphold or subscribe to the same doctrines that the church uh, articles of faith may uphold. So, Clement uh, wanted to groom Christian philosophers. That was one of his goals. He ultimately wanted to teach his students Greek philosophy along with other philosophies so he could prove that philosophy based on Christian scripture was superior. And for some of you all, you may be saying, well, philosophy and Christianity do not go together. W- that's not true. The actual uh, etymology of the word philosophy is phileo and Sophia. Those two Greek words, phileo meaning love, Sophia is wisdom. So philosophy in its original meaning means the love of wisdom. And God says he provides wisdom to all those who uh, diligently seek him and desire wisdom. So philosophy in its original uh, core is what Christianity is all about, is to love wisdom, and to seek wisdom from God. So ultimately, uh, Clement wanted to teach his student's Greek philosophy, as I said. He believed that all truth came from God, which it does. All truth come from God. All, all uh, uh, true revelation come from God, and we must be open to give God uh, praise for that. As a result, he had no apprehensions about using things he considered true from Greek culture because he believed God gave, gave it to them. His writings show a man who was acquainted with many secular writings. His faith moved him beyond the church superstition and traditions. Concerning Clement's work, Bruce Shelley writes, Clement, the first Christian scholar, was versed not only in the Holy Scriptures, but also in the knowledge of his time, including Greek philosophy and classical literature. He understood the questions and problems of the young who came from such uh, educational Um, centers such as Rome, Athens, and Antioch. He did not believe that reading uh, non-biblical or non-Christian sources were sinful. And that's true. Um, You can have Christians who are mature enough to read uh, non-Christian books uh, and and use that information uh, to ascertain the good part about it, in order to help others, um, if you read the book of Acts, you run into a passage where uh, Paul—I mean Luke—writes, "In him we move and have our being." And he he, he said, even of your own poets, uh, have written that. So that quote wasn't from a Christian source; it was from a secular source. But uh, they understood. The church understood that. There are things even in the world that God gave us, that God endorsed, and we can use that to bring and to uh, um, show individuals that are yet to be Christians that we speak their language, and God has given us this ability to use common language to expose Christ to them. So Clement had the same issues um, uh, during the 3rd century, Uh, that we're dealing with now. It's also imperative for me to mention that some of the objectives to uh, Clement's practices, in my opinion, seem to be valid. Uh, Clement's work, again, is a testament uh, to the synthesis between faith and reason and the early church. Not that he had everything right, but um, he knew how to use faith and reason to uh, argue Christianity, to argue the gospel. Then the next person I'd like to highlight is Origen. Origen was a student of Clement, and he succeeded him as the leader of the Catechal School of Alexandria. He lived from approximately 182 A.D. to 251 A.D., which 2nd and 3rd century. Origen is responsible for some of the earliest textual criticism of Greek and Hebrew texts. His aim was to give a correct translation of scriptural text to the church, he also wrote in response to Celsus' work entitled True Discourse. Uh, Celsus argued cr- against Christianity on the grounds that Christianity was not rational in his book, True Discourse. So, and, and this is dangerous. You even have some people in the church that believe that uh, all we should do is be emotive. We should just uh, live by being emotional and, and, and being purely uh, um, emotive and and basing our faith off a of feelings and neglecting the intellect and that's dangerous. We cannot neglect something that God has given us and he wants us to use. So uh, it was to this charge that Origen's faith in what he believed to be truth compelled him to refute the words of Celsus. Origen argued by using conversion of individuals uh, as evidence of the Uh, efficacy of Christianity, meaning that when people are converted, that is proof of what God is saying that he's able to save. Uh, We once again see similar pattern of faith being the motivating factor to answer some of the fundamental issues of life. It is reported that he wrote about 6,000 works or compositions. Most of his works centered on summaries of difficult passages, passages, uh, and some, uh dealt with homilies or sermons and commentaries so he wrote concerning the essence of god christ the holy spirit the world angels man sin resurrection eschatology and free will origen attempted to use uh christianity to buttress his point regarding theories about the world theories about the world so origen showed traces uh of Platonist education. As a result, he believed all eternal things uh, only existed in the mind, and this is where uh, he went off in his theology. But it's it's apparent in looking at the life of origin that faith in God was the foundation for all his work. His metaphysics, even despite Platonism, was measured within the lines of Scripture. His outlook on life was based on his concept of what the Bible conveyed, His work is another evidence of a Christian's faith producing action by the method or process of his logic or reasoning. So it's important. It's important for all of us that we allow God to use our minds to, um, remove the objections that others have about Christianity and to be able to, uh, share the gospel in a rational way. I pray that this message On early thinkers have opened your eyes. I hope that uh, it has helped you uh, to be bold about your faith and to reach those uh, who speak and talk a different way. So I pray you continue to do for the truth what others do uh, do for a lie. Please uh, consider becoming a monthly supporter of our ministry. God bless you.